precious name we pray. Amen. 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 Thank you, Steve. Thank you, praise team. Appreciate uh, those are good songs, good songs. All I am is yours. All right, take your Bibles today. Turn to Mark chapter 12. We're going to jump into the Word of God today. We're going to continue our series through the book of Mark. Seems like the longer I'm in Mark, the slower I go. I don't cover as many verses as I'd like to, but I've really just started to dive into this book in a way that has just been very meaningful to my life. And today, I'm going to kind of just share some of those things that have been going on inside of me um, from my study of the Word of God and then my own personal life as well. I've entitled this message today, Love Hurts, period. C.S. Lewis said it this way, to love deeply is to hurt deeply. Let's stand. We'll read God's Word now. Mark chapter 12, verse 28. Verse 28. One of the scribes came and heard them arguing, and recognizing that he, Jesus, had answered them well, asked him what commandment is the foremost of all. Jesus answered, The foremost is, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord, and you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. The second is this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. The scribe said to him, right, teacher, you have truly stated that he is one and there is no one else besides him. And to love him with all the heart and with all the understanding and all the strength and to love one's neighbor as himself is much more than all burnt offerings and sacrifices. When Jesus saw that he had answered intelligently, he said to him, you are not far from the kingdom of God. After that, no one would venture to ask him any more questions. You may be seated. The thing I like about this passage of Scripture is that this is the only time in the book of Mark that one of the religious leaders agrees with Jesus. <laughs> All of the others fight with him and want to see him on a cross. But this is the only religious leader. That's notable for the book of Mark. He's a kind of a book writer of firsts. And so this is the first religious leader that responds in a positive way to Jesus. And that's in and of itself important to the text. He comes to him. He's a scribe. In the old days, the scribes were the ones that transcribed the word of God and wrote it. But in this day of the first century, they were the lawyers of the day. They were the one that wrote the contracts. They were the one that uh, did all the litigation. So they were the lawyers of Israel, the scribes. A very important role that they played. Now Jesus had just endured three waves of attack, and he was watching all of this. He saw the attack by the Sadducees. He saw the attack by the Sanhedrin. He saw the attack by the Pharisees. And he noticed that Jesus handled himself very well and proper and answered correctly to them. And so he is profoundly impressed by how Jesus is dealing with the traps that they are trying to set for Jesus. And so he just sits in the background listening to these debates go back and forth. Now what struck me is, I remember in 11th grade, I took a class, a debate class. It was one of the electives you could pick, and I, so I took debate. And our de the teacher taught us a lot of things about how to debate. 
But what I most remember her saying was this. I wrote it down. You almost never change the mind of the debater. But you change the minds of the ones listening to the debate. Now, she taught us a lot of things, but I can't remember one thing but that. <laughs> I do remember that sticking with me. You'll never change the mind of the debater because they're fixed like you're fixed in your debate. And so there's the two debates going on. But what you don't realize is there's other people around you that are watching that, and you're affecting their mind and their thinking and what they're dealing with as they listen to your debate. This is what's happening to this scribe. He, his mind is being changed he is part of a hostile group called the Sanhedrin, but he's not hostile. He doesn't have any venom. He just has a desire to talk to Jesus and ask Jesus some questions. So remember that. I just want you to remember that when you talk to people. A lot of times you'll talk to people and you'll feel like maybe they're hostile toward you or you feel like they're not paying attention to you or their minds somewhere else or they appear even when you talk to them closed-minded. Don't be jaded in when you have conversations with people, especially out in this community or wherever you go, because what I've found is I have found people that, man, appeared so hard to me and so tough, and they've come back to me years later and gotten saved, which is amazing to me, amazing to me. Something I said in the little discussion with them stuck with them, and they couldn't get it out of their mind. I've had people in this, in this church hear messages that I've preached five, six years ago, and said, I'll never forget when you said, and I said, what did I say? And they'll tell me what I said. Oh, yeah, I forgot I said that. It must have really impressed me, but it, somehow it stuck with them for seven years. They've never forgot that. Or when I've taught classes in college and in the master's level, I, I, there has been things that I've done and said in those classes that have stuck with those kids, and they tell me years later, what am I saying to you? I'm saying to you, when you talk with people, you have no idea. Sometimes you can get the idea that they're defensive toward you or they don't want to hear what you have to say. That is not true at all. There are things that you are going to say that are going to stick, and they may be closed-minded at the present, but they may come back years later. I have found that to be very, very true in my life. Now, this scribe asked Jesus, what is the greatest command? And so Jesus quotes Deuteronomy 6, 4, and 5. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. Now, I... I'm struck by that verse itself because Jesus has levels of degrees of commands. These are the two highest. Of all the commands and laws that he gives in the Old Testament and even into the New Testament, these are the two highest, to love God and to love others as yourself. So I kind of organize this message around this idea. If you're going to be a follower of Christ, God demands utmost love. God demands utmost love. And so my outline is there are four high callings every follower of Christ must commit to. Four high callings. I want to give those to you today, and I want those to sink into your heart as they are sinking and continue to sink into my heart. Number one, the high calling to a personal God. A personal God. He says, hear, O Israel. Let me just, maybe I'll just read that one back there in verse 
29. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. The Lord is the word Yahweh there. Uh, Jehovah is the word we get from it. We don't see Yahweh much, but we do see it in Scripture. It, it, it is a God who is personal. He is one Lord. It doesn't mean he's just one. It means he's a unique God, unlike any other God, that this God wants to be involved in your life in a personal, personal way. That's, a, that's an incredible thing. There's nothing, he's not some force out there. He's not just some distant person. He is a personal God that wants to be. And so this hero of Israel is a call to assembly. It's called the Shema. By the time a child is two years old, they can recite the Shema in Israel, in Jerusalem. I've heard little kids do it. It's absolutely amazing to hear. So what it is here in this passage is a call to affection for this personal God that wants to be involved in your life. He is a personal God named Jehovah. He is unique. He is like no other God. He's the God who brought him out of Egypt, took him through the uh, wilderness, and then gave them a land, which has been the history of Israel since its beginning. So what you have to understand is your love is given to a personal God, a real personal God, you're in relationship with. Maybe I need to bring that down a notch so you get it a little, okay? I was uh, teaching a class one time, and one of the college girls came into the class as the class was gathering, people were coming to class. And she had her hand out like this. She walked by me. She was glowing. Her face was glowing. And I said, Sarah, you got engaged, didn't you? She said, I did. It was one of the thrills of a girl to be engaged during college when she could tell all her friends and the whole school. And I mean, it went around the whole campus for Sarah, who got engaged that day. And so she's showing me, she's, she's just glowing there. And I, I decided to ask her, I said, let me ask you a question. I said, why do you love Brad? Now, people are shuffling into the class, some people are leaving from the last class. And so I said, why do you love Brad? She said, I love Brad because he's so intelligent. Now, Brad was in my class, and I didn't think he was that intelligent, but <laughs> she did. I said, well, there's other people in this class that are intelligent too, and you don't love them. I said, why do you love Brad? She said, he's so athletic. He's so athletic. I said, well, Tim scored more points at the ball game the other night than he did. I could tell she was getting a little nervous by my, my conversation with her. And I, she said, well, let me tell you something about Brad. Brad is so polite and courteous. By this time, most of the class had come, and they're hearing me have this little conversation with Sarah. And so I said, how many of you guys think in this class you're polite, you are personally polite and courteous? And a bunch of hands went up, and I said, well, there's a whole bunch of hands that went up that are polite and courteous. That, that, uh, uh, that, why do you love Brad? He's no more than these guys. You don't love them. So I was getting this girl to think. Now by this time, everybody in the class is paying attention. I said, why do you love Brad? And I could tell in her nervousness and frustration, she said, I love Brad because he's Brad. Now that hit at the core of her answer. I love Brad because he's Brad. When you described him and said all these things he was, 
It wasn't just those descriptions. You could have gone on with those descriptions forever. But when it became the core of the answer, you went to his name. You went to his name to define who he was. There's something like that in all of us. There is something that a person is bound up in his name. And there's something about God that is bound up in his name. And that's how he wants us to understand this. She loved him because he was Brad, but God said, it's just like that with me. You love me not for the benefits you receive, but you love me because of my name, because of who I am. Love me for who I am. I'm Jehovah. I am a personal God that wants to be in a personal walk with you, which is absolutely beautiful. That's a high calling to a personal God, okay? Number two, the high calling of an undivided heart. So he says to him, what's the greatest commandment? And he says to him in verse 30, you shall love your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. Now let's, let's tear that down. That, that's, those are some big words in Scripture, uh, throughout the Scriptures, those four words. Let me just kind of make them simple so I can get through this message in a way that you can understand it. Okay, love them with all your heart. Okay, that, that's the root of your being. When we talk about your heart, we're talking about your will. We're talking about your desire. We're talking about your passion. Okay? That is in you is this heart. Not the physical heart. It's the heart that has a will, a desire, a passion. And it's interesting to me that if you're going to love somebody, that's where it's got to start. It's got to come from within your heart and go out. It's got to start there. If you fall in love, if you love someone with all your heart, okay? There's a spiritual relationship going on with God where you love them with your will, your desire, and your passion. Then he says, with all your soul. All your soul. Now, see, I've got to define that differently than heart. Okay, so this is your whole being. When we talk about the essence of who you are, if, if we just boil you down, you are a soul. That's the essence of your being. The soul. Now, here's the deal. Your heart is part of that soul. It's just a piece of it. We can't divide it. We can't figure out what that is. But we, we do know this, that, that the heart is a part of that soul. Because the soul is everything you are. It's everything you are. And the heart is part of that. Okay, so he says... Love me with all your heart, with all your soul, and then he says, with all your mind. As a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. The mind is in the heart, and the heart is in the soul. The mind is in the heart, and the heart is in the soul. To love him with all your soul, with all your heart, with all your mind. This is, this is you. This is you right here. Everything you are. Your heart, your soul, your mind. Love them with all of that. Everything inside of you that comes out of you, love them with all of that. Your intellectual thoughts, the fullness of your understanding. That's why you want to be a lover of thoughts. A lover of the Word of God. A lover of wanting to know him. This is the only way he's going to reveal himself to you is through the word. Everything else is external to point you back to the word so that you can understand who he is. To study this book, to know him. Love him with your thoughts. 
Don't waste your mind. There's nothing wrong with loving some things in this life, okay? There's some things I like to do with my time. I like to go places. I like to spend my... I like like history now. I didn't like history when I was in school, but now I love to read history. Just read an article about the last guy alive who was in the uh, motorcade with JFK. Now, I'm into that stuff, okay? And uh, he says there, there's no such thing as a magic bullet. And so I was interested in that story. Well, let me tell you something. I love to read history. I love to read, uh, I love to dabble in stocks. I love to fly airplanes. I love to do all these things. But I don't ever want my love for these things to overtake my love in my mind for the Word. Okay, they're, all, they're all fun things to do. They're all things that capture my attention, but I want anything to capture my attention over the Word of God in my life because I want to love them with all my mind. Now, I hope when I die, I can say I love to learn about you through your book more than anything else made in this world that I enjoyed dabbling in. So that's the sense of the mind, where your mind is going, okay? And then he says, lastly, he says, with all your strength. Now, this word at the physical level means this, to groan, lifting up something heavy, okay? The the grunt behind it, okay? Mm, You you, you lift up, mm, you put all your energy into lifting up something heavy. That's the word there. The problem is that's the physical word. This is, this is talking about something going down on inside of you, not a physical groaning. It, it, it means, the best way I know how to describe it is, I, I, I just created this word, okay? It is the oomph behind all of these other three. The oomph with all your strength. Everything that's within you, you got this oomph that says, I want to love you with all my heart, with all my soul, and with all my mind. That's what I want to do with my life. I, I want to give it all I've got. In other words, what he's saying here in this text is, I want to take everything at my disposal and make it available to you. It's yours. Here's my hands. Here's my money. Here's my eyes. Here's my children. Here's my life. Here's everything that I am. Here's, Here's my words. Here's my house. Here's my tools. Here's my cell phone. Here's my music. Here's my movies. Here's my computer. Here's my time. See, out of the oomph from my soul and from my heart and from my uh, uh, um, mind is this oomph that says, I want to make it all available to you. It's all yours. That's, that's the word. You're, you're first. You're, I have a singular commitment to you. It's undivided. It's, it's not divided in my, whole, my heart, my soul, my mind is not divided. I got this oomph that's working toward you. Now, we've all failed at that, so just relax, okay? We have all failed at that. But there's something ticking in you that wants to do it. And you still do it. You don't do it perfectly. You fail all over the place because you get more into something else than you get into God. Something else pulls your attention, and you're into that. But, But I'm telling you, there's still something that ticks in every child of God that says, this is what I want. I want to love you like this. See, this is the foremost greatest command. The foremost greatest command. God's got a lot of commands, but these two are at the top. These two are at the top. Of all the commands, he he has them ordered, okay? 
Some are still commands of God, but they're not as important as these two. These two. This is foremost, okay? An undivided, loyal heart, mind, soul, strength. If you fail in this command, it doesn't matter how you do on anything else. It doesn't matter. What did Paul say in 1 Corinthians 13? If I do this and I do that, but I have not love, I'm nothing. I'm nothing. If I don't love God and I don't love others, I'm wasting my life. I am wasting my life. I, I feel that I feel that pervasive command so deeply, even though I know I fail it. Okay, that's the high calling of an undivided heart. Let's go on number three. The high calling to the priority of relationship. The high calling to the priority of relationship. And so he says in verse 31, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Now, this doesn't mean I love the people in Africa and I love the people. I love everybody. That's not what it means, okay? To love your neighbor as yourself. It means you love the people you deal with on a daily basis. That's what it means. It means you love the people you wake up with. It's the people you leave the house from. It's the place you go to work. You love the people that you deal with on a daily basis. That's what it means. That's why it's so hard, okay? I can easily love the people in Africa. I can, we can send them money and mission support and do everything we want, but they aren't hard to love unless I live there. Okay, so, so this is the idea of the text. It means you love people you deal with on a daily basis. Now, the problem is, when we get uncomfortable with that, the people we love on a daily basis, the problem we get, when we get comfortable or uncomfortable with that, we want to get out. want to get out. I'm, I'm sick of loving that person. But there is a love that endures all things. Now, listen to me, okay? You may get bruised but you will never back away. That's what it means. You may get bruised, but you will never back away. Why? Love hurts, period. Anybody you're going to love, you're going to hurt over. And like C.S. Lewis said, the deeper you love, the deeper you hurt. Okay, so Romans 5, 5 says this, the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost which is in us. This is the only way you can do it. It has to be a supernatural agape love put into you, a love that is God's love has to be put into you. That's the only way you can do it. The only way you can love like God is you've got to be filled with God. The Holy Spirit has to be in you to shed the love of God abroad in your heart. So if the Holy Ghost is in you, then you're filled with God. And when you get filled with God, you have the potential to love like God. You have the potential to love like God. You do. It's in you. If you know him as your Lord and Savior, it is in you. And the real sign of the Holy Ghost in you is when you love your neighbor. When you love people who mistreat you. When people have done you wrong. You may have to do it a distance sometimes. I get that because that's part of love, but you love them. You get rid of your old filthy garments. You get rid of your old hateful opinions. That's tough. You get rid of your stiff-necked attitude and you humble yourself before Christ. That is difficult to do, but that's what it means. 
By this shall all men know you are my disciple, if you have love one for another. That's the core text of understanding all these passages. You'll never be his disciple because you wear long dresses. You'll never be a disciple just because you don't wear makeup. I was at a church where nobody wore makeup, and the Lord knows I wish they did. <laughs> and I'm glad some of you wear makeup. Some of you men could use it. <laughs> no, just, just kidding there. Okay, but uh, isn't that an amazing thing? That some people think they're loving God more by the things they do like that. And somehow think they have a little notch with God. But the truth of the matter is, that's not true at all. Because that doesn't measure your love with God. People only know you are His disciple when and only when you, peep, treat, you treat people with love. That's the only way they're going to know. How do you treat people? That's core. That is central to the greatest command. When you learn how to forgive, when you don't hold a grudge, when you have nothing to gain or get anything back, that's tough. That's tough, but that's what it means. That's what it means, and there's something in you. Though you fail sometimes, you aspire to that. You have that in you, and you know that's what you want to do. That's what you want to do. It's in you. Okay, number four, the high calling of loving God more than people. Now, this was a, this was a, reflection, this was a reflection of everything I did as I studied the first three, so this is kind of my thought here that I picked up on as I was reading it. The high calling of loving God more than people. Notice the order. He says, love God foremost, love people second. That's important. Love God foremost, love people second. God's got to be way up here. Man's got to be way down here. It's very, very important you understand that order there because I, there's a lot of things I could do with this. I, I, I want to go in a certain direction with it, but I want you to understand this. By comparison, I am to love God immeasurably more immeasurably more. When a person I witness to doesn't respect me, I'm okay with that because I'm more concerned about God and what he thinks of whether I even was willing to witness to that person. See, so I'm okay not being respected because I love God more. That's how it works, okay? When I preach, sometimes you don't like what I said. I get that, but I should have an eye toward God more than you when I preach. Someone has told me, and I never forgot it, you should preach as if you sense the breath of God breathing on the back of your neck. I like that. Okay, so I have to love God more. It's so hard. It's so hard. Now, what the culture does, what your culture is doing today is trying to reverse the order. Not love God first and love others. Love others first. That's the culture. Put people first. We call that today humanism. Okay? Put people first. Love others and love God kind of like a footnote 
That's what the world says. Let's take care of each other. That's, that's our role. That's the role of the world, to take care of each other. And let's just kind of hold hands together and all join. We are the world. We are the world. Let's, let's just join hands. But, but in the process, they ignore God. They ignore God. Let's just leave him out. Love others, love God, second. The real test for a follower of God is, I don't allow my love for other people to compromise the holiness of God or the moral truth of God or serving God in my life. That's the real test. I'm not going to allow others to have me compromise God's holiness in my life, the moral truth of God or serving God in my life. I'll stay generic, but be personal. I love my neighbor, but he wants me to approve of his homosexual lifestyle. What they imply is, if you don't approve of it, then you don't really love me. You don't really love me. Yes, I do love you, but I love God more. This is my struggle, okay? I do love you, but I love God more. Loving Him first means I cannot be about what's right and what's wrong at the same time. I cannot be about what's right and what's wrong at the same time. So you might want my love to turn into approval for what you're doing, but I can't do that because I love God more. God's the one I love first. Mike Winger says it, or Mark Winger says it this way. There is a holiness line drawn in the sand by love. I love that. There is a holiness line drawn in the sand by love. It's why we can't approve of some things. It's just why we can't do it. We can't hold hands with each other on this, with others on this, I should say. Painful as it is. Painful as these things are. If I have to choose between my love for God and my love for my mom and dad, which would be incredibly hard, or worse yet, if I have to choose between my love for my child and my love for God, it's immeasurably difficult if the two conflict because blood is thicker than water. And so I'm struck by the fact that I have to be loyal to someone when I know I'm supposed to be loyal to God first. And so I wrestle with that, as you wrestle with that, as some of you even wrestle worse than me with some of these things as you wrestle through them. When someone stands opposed to God and says to me, me or God, that's what they're saying, me or God, it has to be God. It has to be God. Loving God will not lower the standard that I have and allow for sin. To love and to support the LGBTQ agenda is unbiblical and stronger, yet it's nonsense. I've talked to them several times. They'll say this, we have feelings of love for each other, so that, that therefore then endorses our behavior because we feel like we're in love with each other, so our behavior is endorsed. That will not work with the Word of God. Love God first, and God's saying don't do this. 
don't hurt yourself. This isn't what you were made for. Love isn't approval and support of a life choice. They're two different things. Love and approval are two different things. How do I know that? God so loved the world. God loves the world, but he doesn't approve of their behaviors. He doesn't approve of their choices. Get that in your heart, okay? But he loves them. He loves them. He loves them better than you and I could love them. But he doesn't approve of them rejecting his Messiah. He doesn't approve of them rejecting truth because he knows it's destroying them. It's destroying them. See, the truth is, I don't have to think you're right to care about you. I don't have to think you're right to care about you. I don't have to think you're right to love you. When you love and approve people when they do wrong, that's not loving them. That's harming them. That's harming them. Think it through. Think it through in your own heart, your own life, as you come to the Word of God. That's not loving them. It's harming them. Faithful. Faithful are the wounds of a friend. A friend will tell you you're making a mistake. They won't sit there and approve and support you. It's so important you get this. I, I, I just picked on this one example because it's a little closer to home than you might know. This truly isn't a culture of true love where they love everybody. I, I, uh, <laughs> guy's name's slipping me right now, but he says it's not really a culture of true love. He calls it, it's a culture of lovish. It's a lovish culture. It looks like love, but it's not love. That's good. That's good. It's a, it's a lovish culture. It looks like love, but it's not. Because your best friends who love you will tell you you're making a mistake. I'm not just talking about LGBTQ here. I'm, I'm talking about everything in your life that, that you wrestle with when you sometimes have these disagreements. And so this is what Jesus did. He just... I'm just trying to apply that to that situation because it's very close to some of you and it's very close to me. And I don't always know how to love people in that situation. I struggle. I struggle because when it gets close to home, you've got this deep love. And yet, what does that look like in practical terms? That's what you wrestle with. That's what you wrestle with. But you've got to know the principle. The principle is he's got to be way up here and that person's got to be way down here, or you are going to mess up. Now, the scribe is so impressed by this. The scribe looks at that, and he responds and says, man, you've answered well, Jesus. And then he goes on. I, I, I wanted you to just see that because he says to him, um, you're right, teacher, verse 32. You've truly stated he is the one. There is no one else besides him. And to love him with all your heart, with all your understanding, with all your strength, to love one's neighbor as himself is much more than all burnt offerings and sacrifices. Now, what you didn't see in that answer was that man off the top of his tongue quoted seven verses in the Old Testament to respond to Jesus. 
Now, you don't see it. I'll, I'll just put them up on the screen for you. But he quoted Deuteronomy 6, 4, 4, 35, Isaiah 45, 21, Isaiah 6, 5, Leviticus 19, 18, 1 Samuel 15, 22, and Hosea 6, 6 in his answer to Jesus. Jesus gave one verse. He threw seven back at him, seven back at him. And he said, Jesus, you are right. And Jesus heard this guy. He says he answered intelligently. What that means is he answered according to the word of God. This guy's starting to get there. This guy's starting to get there, and he says, you're not far from the kingdom of God. You're starting to get this. It's not about the sacrifice. It's not about keeping all the rules on those sacrifices and making sure the temple is the center of everybody's lives, and we're going to have all these rules about the temple. She said, you're getting it. Love God, love others. And that man put all those verses just off the top of his tongue in response and says, I get it, Jesus. I'm understanding what it means. Jesus says, you're not far. You're not far. All right, I'm, I want to take just a few minutes. If you'll give me just about seven minutes. Here's how I want to close. I read this and studied it, and I said, what is going to motivate me? Why, why am I motivated to do that? I know the Holy Ghost is in me, but this, this command to love God and love others, what motivates me? And the, the best answer I could come up with just from my own meditation was that the price he paid to love is what motivated what motivates me for God so loved I'm just called to love but he's so loved he's so loved we read of the cross in the book of Acts and it says in Acts 1 3 I was reading this week after his passion he showed himself alive with many infallible proofs He called it his passion, the cross. His passion struck me. When I see the cross, I see pain. I see execution. I see abuse. I see cruelty. I see injustice, and I see death. That's what I see when I look at the cross. But when God sees Calvary, he sees it as his passion. His passion. The movie, The Passion for Christ. It's not the kind of movie you want to sit down with popcorn and refreshments, okay? When you watch that movie, you're so overwhelmed by the movie, you, you feel that it's just not something you really enjoy, but yet at the same time, you're plugged in because you're realizing that's what he did for you. And so in the process of that, I don't really feel entertained when I see somebody getting beat to death and their skin half hanging off of them. That's not my idea of a pleasurable evening to go to the movies and see that. God calls that his passion. His passion. When I think of passion, I think of pleasure. When God thinks of passion, he thinks of pain. And there it is. To love deeply is to hurt deeply. This is the commitment. When I think of love, I think of wonderful feelings. When God thinks of love, he thinks of bruises. And you know it requires blood to have a bruise? He was bruised for our iniquities. By his beatings, we are healed. How he loved us, how he loved the unlovely, how he, he redeemed the unredeemable. It's absolutely amazing to think about 
that he would touch the untouchable. God so loved the world. It strikes me. That's, that's what motivates me. And when you get saved, that love of God is shed abroad in your heart through the Holy Spirit that's in you. And so when you get filled with God, you can love like God. And then you can carry the bruises. Then you can carry the pain that people inflict on you. When you hurt deeply, you are learning something about life. That love hurts, period. The greatest story ever told is not Romeo and Juliet. The greatest story is about a lover giving his body to save his bride. Now where the enemy made his mistake was, all these enemies of Jesus made their mistake was not putting him on a cross, not beating him up, not even nailing him to a cross. Their mistake was what Jesus said would be their mistake. <laughs> he said, if I be lifted up, if I be lifted up, if I put myself at the vulnerability and the mercy of people and in my great love for them, I be lifted up, I will draw all men to me. See, the mistake the enemies of Christ made was they lifted him up. They should have never lifted him up. If they wouldn't have lifted him up, they never would have been doomed for a damnation in their rejection of Christ. But when they lifted him up, they were damned. And at the same moment they were damned in rejection of Christ is the same moment where we are then secure in Christ. It's incredible. It's incredible to think about that kind of love. And so, no matter how low I am, I don't have to get myself up. If I understand the scriptures, I just have to look up. I just have to look up because God is so high. And so that's how I start with my salvation and that's how I live it out. Every time something tries to attack me with my gaze, I look up. I look up. I look up high to the one. And that, that's what's the focus. That's the focus of every time you're trying to love people is you've got to look up. Okay? Because what the enemy does is he wants to get your eyes to gaze elsewhere. He doesn't want you looking up. He wants you looking around. Look at your life right now. Look at the mess it is. Look, look at your inside. You're, you're a mess inside. He wants to distract you so you won't look up. But I'm, I'm telling you today, it's so simple. Every time you wrestle with loving somebody and that love hurts, just look up. Look up. That's your key. That's your key to loving God and loving others. And that's your motivation for everything you do. Let's pray. Just with your heads bowed, eyes closed, praise team's going to come, play a song, and as they, as they play this song, I just want to call you to a heart committed to love. He does the lifting, I do the looking. Look up, look up, love God, 
love others. He's first, they're second, but love them both. If you're here today and you want to change your life, he can do it. He can change your life. He can change your heart. He can change your addiction. He can change your marriage. There's all kinds of things he can change, but the most important thing is your life. You don't want to lose your life. That's why Jesus went to a cross. That's why he died. That's where our look is supposed to be. And if you're looking to Jesus right now and your heart is, Jesus, I'm a guilty sinner before you. Save me. He'll save you. And being lifted up is either your damnation or it's your eternal salvation. You have an opportunity to make that right and settle that forever in your heart and your life. Just this morning, just right at your seat, say, Jesus, save me. I'm lost. I'm a sinner. I invite you to be my Lord and Savior. Christ as their Lord and Savior and said, I'm, I'm saved, Pastor Rob. I just want to ask you, how's, how's the enemy trying to distract you? Trying to get you to look around, look at what's wrong with you, you screwed up again, you messed up. You get those eyes back on him, just look up. Look up. You keep your focus on loving God and loving others. Father, take this message now and still it to our hearts. We thank you for the truth that's unfolded before us. May we live it out through the power of the Holy Ghost that resides within us. I'll give you all the honor and glory now. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Let's stand to our feet. If there's something in your heart today you want to bring to the altar, I encourage you to come. Something's trying to distract you. I'm trying to get your eyes off looking up and back on him this morning. Let's sing together.